Hello again. I was just here a couple weeks ago, so glad to be back. Good morning. My name is Donovan. If we haven't met, let's meet after the service. My family's here. We've got some humming going on there. Daniel, you were preaching, man. I was like ready to enter a time of response. Nice work. So I got nothing to say. Um, actually, yeah, we'll see if I have something to say. Let me uh, pray. We'll get going. God, thank you uh, that you ransom us, that you cover us, that we are plunged beneath the, the flood in the fountain. I pray we remember that as we, while well, Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of the guilt within, that we would cry out the blood and rejoice in that. So help us to be reminded of that and your power and goodness for us today. Amen. So recently I was uh, sitting out on the back deck with my wife's where we like to hang out at night and, um, you know, I was cruising Facebook as, as romantic husbands do. I was paying good attention to my wife. And I uh, was scrolling through and a, a fight video came up, you know. The man in me can't resist that. But it was like a silly fight. It was like two guys, they had this altercation in the street. It was like a, a road rage gone wrong and then they... They started scrapping, and it was kind of a silly fight. The one guy was trying to get away, and the other guy had a hold of his shirt, and, you know, he was just trying to get away. And it had some, like, background music, kind of some pop music playing or something. So my wife's sitting next to me, and she can't see what I, what I see, right? She just, she obviously hears the music, and then she hears me say, take your shirt off, dude. And then say, there you go. And she was like, what are you watching? Right? And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. It's just a, I showed her some fight video, which is shameful, but not as shameful as the alternative. So I tell you that because it's funny. Um, but also there's a point there, which is, has to do with Revelation, which we're going to be talking about today. There was a, a moment there where she didn't see fully, right? As Paul says, and the scripture tells us that we as Christians see dimly. We don't have the full picture. And so that affects our assumptions, it affects how we live, it affects how we interact with the world. And today's passage is about God's light, about him breaking through and bringing revelation to us, to give us understanding because we don't see fully. And so if you've been around Redeemer for a while, you know that we, uh, our mission statement is to fight for joy. And let me just skip a little ahead in the sermon here and say, and again, steal this phrase from John Piper, he's been highly influential in our ministry and my life, is John Piper says this, the fight for joy is a fight to see. It's a fight for revelation. In other words, to the extent that we lack joy and the power and strength to, to live lives that demonstrate a peace, right, and a faith that surpasses understanding, when we, when we lack that, it's because we lack revelation about who God is or who we are. We want to grow in joy. We need to grow in our understanding to see, and not just see on the page or on the, you know, the screen, but in our hearts to see who God is and who we are. You want to grow in joy. You want to grow in power. You want to grow in mission. The fight for joy is the fight to see, and God is the one that gives this revelation, gives this light, So let me just summarize this passage here. We are in Isaiah 42, 10 through 17. I'm going to go through here and give a summary of the passage and then draw out some points here. 
Isaiah 42. Verses 10 through 12 are a call to sing. You see this, right? Verse 10, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the, from the ends of the earth. Verse 11, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastland. So the first part of the passage is a call to sing. We'll come back to that. Verses 13 through 15 talk about the power of God. Listen to this. The Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal, describing God's power. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty amongst, against his foes. Verse 16 particularly, sorry, 14 says this. Says God speaking, for a long time I have held my peace. So God is patient. God has a plan and goals and a mission and a passion, and yet he's patient. One of our pair of values here at Redeemer is pursuit and patience, right? This idea that God calls us to go on mission, to follow him, to have zeal, to be on fire for the kingdom, and yet to have a great patience. And we see that modeled by God. I have waited, God says, for a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. But he says, now the time has come to move. And I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. He's going to move mightily. God's power. Verse 15 continues to describe that. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. He's going to do unbelievable things, right? Dry up mountains, dry up pools, turn rivers into islands. And then verse 16 is when we hear about Revelation. I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light. That's power. So we live in a world surrounded with darkness. And what God says is you're going to sing. Why? Because I'm going to move in power. How? By turning darkness into light. When I turn darkness into light, you will be astounded. Be won over by my power, and the response will be worship. So let's talk about light. I'm going to go through a handful of verses here. For some of you, this will be very familiar. Redeemer theology and what we believe is kind of the essence of what the scriptures are teaching. For some of you, this will be new. And for some of you, it will be a good review. So here's the deal. I want us to see that when the scripture talks about light, it's talking about God's revelation. When he's going to shine light, when he's going to bring forth the light, He's going to heal the blind. He's going to bring revelation about who he is, what the world is, who we are. And that God's revelation is the main work of God in our lives. we got to get this. So when we pray to God and we see the darkness, sometimes, yes, he removes obstacles. So we're going to get there. And sometimes we pray for God to heal and he heals. And sometimes we pray for him to remove evildoers, and he does that. But the main thing he does is gives us a new grid. He turns the darkness before us into light. He helps us see appropriately. Let me show you this. String of verses, and I can send these to you later if you like. To me, they form kind of like the key text, string of texts that show what God is doing, what it means to be a Christian, who God is, who we are, what we need, and what his power is. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4. 
describing the condition of man. So you, me, and everyone born on this earth is born like this, blind to the light, lacking revelation. The God of this world, in this context, this is referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers, right? So if, when you don't believe in Jesus, when you are born in this world, you're not born a Christian, you are blinded. See that idea of light and lack of revelation? The mind, the mind, the being. This is not about your eyes. This is about your mind, your being, your ability to see with the heart who God is. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Christ has glory, we're blind, we don't see it. What's the way forward? This is the essential human problem. The essential human problem is not behavior. It's not pornography, it's not prostitution, it's not sex slavery, it's not the Democrats, it's not the Republicans, it's not politics, it's not the economy. The essence, the essential human problem is blindness to the glory of Christ. Therefore, God's essential work is to heal that. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, responding to that. What's the way forward? The same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, the creator, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So that glory of Christ that we're born blind to because we've been blinded by the God of this world, the true God who created the world, has shown in our hearts to give the light, the revelation. This is the key work of God. You're born blind to the glory of Christ. God says, in essence, like he did at the creation, let there be light, and you come to an understanding now of who Christ is. There's a revelation. And this is great power. Like, I believe in this text when God says, I, for a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. That's talking about him sending his son to die on the cross for us and opening the eyes of the blind. He will turn the darkness before them into light. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross. So this is what I'm talking about. Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Him being God incarnate, dying for us. Paul says that word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The same cross, one cross, one group receives it as folly, foolish, irrelevant. Why? They're blind to it. One group sees it as the power of God. What has happened? Revelation. The outside event hasn't changed. There stands, hangs Christ crucified, right? He's on the cross, objectively out there. One group looks at that and goes, boo, it's boring, it's irrelevant, I want nothing to do with it. One says, this is the wisdom and power of God. Redeeming love will be my song and shall be till I die. Why? Revelation. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So here's, what, here's the Christian experience. God has opened our eyes. We do see the glory of Christ. I mean, I was struck by that during worship today. Man, redeeming love has been my song and will be till I die. Like, there's n that is the essence of my hope in this world. That is my song. I believe that. I see it. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than redeeming love, the grace of God, 
and then Tuesday, I'm caught up in other things. Why? Because I see, but I see dimly. I get confused. I get distracted. And I hear the lies that Daniel was talking about, and I listen to the media, and I listen to my heart, and I listen to you. (laughs) And we get muddled. So there's where we live. In between the cross and glory, we see and we don't. And so we fight. We fight to see. We see in a mirror dimly. 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is Christian growth. We all, with unveiled face, we've been unveiled. God has lifted the veil. We see. And yet we see dimly. Therefore, what do we do? We keep looking. Beholding the glory of the Lord. We all now, with unveiled face, we're beholding the glory of God. And doing that, as we do that, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who's the Spirit. Here's the point. The way we grow is the same way we were born. Right? We were born by God saying, let there be light. And we're open, our eyes are open. But we continue to see dimly, so we continue to go to God and look at him and ask him to shine light in our hearts and to grow us. Which is why Paul prays this way in Ephesians 1. He prays for the church as a group of believers. They're believers. You're believers. You have seen and you don't. So this prayer for the Ephesian church is also for us, for you. Paul prays that the spirit of that God may give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. There's that language, right? We need to continue to see. We need God to gasp and pant. We need him to show himself mighty. How? Turn the darkness before us into light over and over and over. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of our heart enlightened. And then what? You would know the hope to which he has called you. Listen to Ephesians 3. Similar prayer. Paul prays and bows his knees before the Father. He's praying for the church. What is his prayer? That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's what we need. To be strengthened with power in our inner being. That in our inner being we would see. That the revelation would go beyond just our words and the things we see, but in our inner being. I was sitting with a group of uh, high school boys this past week with our RISE ministry, and I asked them, Oh, let me actually finish this this verse because it came from here. Here's what it says. Paul prays that you'd be strengthened in your inner being and then you would have strength to comprehend. See, we lack strength to comprehend. What? The breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge because the love of God is infinite. He's an infinite being. He says the height and depth and length and breadth, how far does it run? It, It runs infinitely. But you have, you know, itty-bitty little receptors. And when I stand up here and tell you God loves you, we read that through the grid of our own love. I love you, and I offend you. I love you, and I don't think about you. I love you, and I don't text on your birthday. Well, that, if that is God's love, that's not very impressive. But Paul says you lack the receptors You need revelation to be strengthened in the inner being so you can have strength to comprehend. Man, we don't have strength to comprehend the love of God. But if we did, it says that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. So just look at your life this past week. Is that how you would describe yourself? 
filled with all the fullness of God. Is that how people describe you when you show up at work? Now, so again, back, I asked these boys, what would your life look like? Let's imagine that. I want you to just picture, let's take a minute here and just imagine and think about your life this week and all the places you interact at home or at school with your friends. What would it look like if you were filled with the fullness of God? And my son said he'd be casting out demons. So uh, that's what he imagines, godliness. <laughs> Which is partly true. That's what Jesus did, right? But one of them said it'd be fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, gentleness, peace, right? Like, what would our lives look like? Be filled with the fullness of God. It's, it's hard to imagine. Right? Even when I sit there and say, guys, imagine that, it's so out there. We lack strength to comprehend. What would it look like? How would I shepherd differently? How would I pastor differently? What would I be like as a husband or as a friend or as a staff leader? Like Dirk sits, so you've been sitting with me face to face for years. Like, do you come away going, man, that guy is filled with the fullness of God? No, not at all. Dirk's not impressed. Dirk gets paid. That's why he stays. <laughs> and I mean paid. <laughs> Just kidding. But man, okay, here's the idea. Big idea, right? We want to grow. We want to be a people of invincible joy. Like I think about this world that we live in, and it's just become more and more clear that there are obstacles, that there is sin, that there is division. Gosh, the division, the chaos, the lies. I mean, I listen to both sides of the aisle. I listen to a lot of stuff out there. And and one thing I come away with is like, man, they're all liars. Everybody's right. Everybody's got the take. No matter the event, who won the debate? Depends on who you ask. And they're all right. Why? They're just lying. And I'm just, I feel this inundation of chaos from the world. I get overwhelmed with it. Last week, I couldn't even preach in Cedar Rapids. I was oppressed by the chaos of the world. So in Cedar Rapids, we just prayed. I literally showed up and I was like, I can't. Because I'd given in. Now it's not true that the world is not chaotic. The world is chaotic. There is, there are lies, there is division. What I was losing sight of was this. The nation's rage, I know my God is in control because I lacked strength in the inner being to walk in that and have victory and joy and then stand up and preach to my people about the goodness of God. And instead I stood up and said, I got nothing for you. And it was fine. It's what God did and we prayed together. But man, I needed strength to comprehend this is chaos out there. It's chaos. And so we need the power of God to give us that revelation. It won't come from us. The essential work of God at the beginning and throughout our lives is to reveal His glory to us, to shine light in the darkness, and it's His great power. The power of God is not the promise to remove suffering. The power of God is not the promise to remove suffering. He may. We pray for healing. And he may. We pray for restored marriages. And he may. But the real power of God 
is the promise to create a people of invincible joy. What's more miraculous? A people who rejoice when God removes their suffering or a people who rejoice when he doesn't? A people who who demonstrate to the world that they are so in tune with the love of God that they can live lives that surpass understanding. That's what Paul says. You will have a peace that surpasses understanding. If you think of the book of Job and when Satan comes and says, hey, what? Job only praises you because he has all this stuff. He's saying basically Job lives an understandable life. Of course he's praising you. His crops are healthy. His kids are all healthy. Everything's great. His wife loves him. That's an understandable life. But we're called to live lives that surpass understanding, that the world would go, what? What is this hope that's within you? And then out of that, you would say, (laughs) I have been strengthened in the inner man to comprehend the love of God. That though the losses here on earth are great, they do not make me or break me. That's an unbelievable life. And it takes the power of God. We will suffer. Not just Christians, everyone will. But here's the deal, is that Christians have a resource to thrive in suffering. And it's the love of God. And the ability to see that he's in these things for us. That he turns the darkness into light. To see light in the darkness. Right? That not that God's going to remove all the darkness, but that we can see his light in the darkness. Not that all the chaos is going to go away. Not that all the cancer is going to be healed. Not that abortion will be made illegal. Some of these things may or may not happen throughout history, but what God is saying is there's darkness in the light, or light in the darkness. Let me show you this. Psalm 139, 12. Confessing to God, saying, Even the darkness is not dark to you. I'm going to hang here a little bit. The night to God is as bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. Why? Because even the darkness is infused by him and for him. For his purposes. Quick example. Joseph. Right? Old Testament guy thrown in the pit by his brothers, sold into slavery. That was some straight up darkness. And yet, God meant that for good. Joseph's brothers meant it for evil. It's darkness. But God's purpose in it was designed by him and defined by light. There's light in the darkness. This is the way forward. When the world is falling apart, when the politicians are lying, when the church is struggling, when your kids have gone wayward, there is light in that darkness. The same event. Now, let's just go to the cross. We've talked about this, right? Familiar territory. There's Jesus hanging on the cross. Is it a dark event or is it a light event? This is where we begin to see the power of God. Confounds the, wait a minute. That's the single most dark event that's ever occurred, the murder of the innocent Lamb of God. It's the single most light event that's ever occurred, the redemption of the people of God through his sacrificial blood. Like, there is light in the darkness. In the darkness. That's, that's kind of what it means. The light shines in the darkness. You can't have one without the other. Several weeks ago, as you guys know, in, in uh, Cedar Rapids, we had a, 
a derecho, which is a storm, right? Just obliterated all the trees and a lot of houses and stuff like that. But so, again, my wife and I sitting out on the rear deck and, uh, at night, and all the city lights are gone. We're without power for 10 days or so. So there's no lights, right? And the lights can obscure the lights, right? They, they, make, they create like a, I forget what you call it, like a city glow or something, and you know, all of a sudden you can't see the stars. I saw so many shooting stars, more than I'd ever seen in my life. I don't think there was an increase in shooting stars. I just had the ability to see it because the light shines in the darkness. It was incredible. There's light in the darkness. And what does that mean? Guys, I really believe this is the power. <laughs> it's like we've got to believe in the moment, not just when I'm teaching or reading, but in the moment of trial, that God is at work in there. There's light in the darkness. So we can pray. We're going to have various trials, and we can pray for God to remove those trials, and he may or may not. But I believe more than praying for him to remove things, we pray for him to reveal things. Many of you are going to face and are facing relational trials. All right? I have a couple examples here. None of these are hypothetical. This is straight up happening. I don't know how many parents I've talked to over the last several years who are saddened by the fact that they invested their lives preaching the gospel to their kids, and then their kids grew up, and they've gone wayward. And they said, this is not for me. And it breaks their heart. And my kids aren't that old yet, so we'll see. There's some light in there. I was talking to my wife about this on the way up, like, what light is there in that God? There's one thing he may be doing. He's teaching those parents the love of God. Because what we can do as Christian parents is isolate ourselves and build a Christian bubble world. And those who disagree, we just reject them and live our own isolated life. And then God takes your children that you love, and for this time at least, they're unbelievers. And you won't reject them. And now maybe for the first time, you get to learn the love of God, how he feels about unbelievers. And it's close to home, but it's close to home to him. Jesus says in John 1, he came to his own, and they did not know him. And just real quickly, for parents that are in that situation, I want to come to Adoniram Judson here in a minute, but he's a, a missionary. He labored for 38 years with not a lot of fruit until he started seeing change. And let me just encourage you in that. It's not over. God is patient. God is patient. It's not over. Don't give up the fight. Pray for them. Plead with them. Enter that space and ask God to show you there is light in that darkness. It is dark. It is dark. If you, if you believe in the reality of hell and of God and sin, and for your kids to say, this is not for me, is not just a philosophy choice. It's not just an alternate lifestyle. They're playing with God and hell. It's not light and easy. 
But God says, I'm in this. Can you have strength in those moments? You need revelation from God to show you His surpassing love, His care, his, the height and breadth and depth and length that you would cling to that. And it doesn't mean you're not saddened by the trial, but it means you're not undone. Wayward kids, spouse or a child who rejects you, even death. We all, all come into contact with death, Right? different kinds, and we have a recent raw one in Cedar Rapids with a three-year-old drowning, and they're in the war of their lives. I was listening to this biography again about Adoniram Judson and his wife, well, he had several wives because they kept dying, Um, missionary to Burma, now known as Myanmar, Great book called the Golden, To the Golden Shore. Read it. Through much suffering and death bore much fruit for the kingdom of God. Adoniram had three wives, 13 kids, out of which five died. Five kids died, and all three wives died before he died. That's being near to death. <laughs> and his first wife gave birth to two kids, they both died. Then later, she ended up birthing another child for Adoniram, and then she died, and then later that kid died. That's dark. Now this woman, hear from her, listen to her. That's dark. Is there any light in that? Her, commenting on the death of her second child, said this. (laughs) Our hearts were bound up with this child. We felt that he, now they're in Burma with no Christians, left their family, they're just alone out there, sickness, death, right? Rejected. So our hearts were bound up with this child. We felt he was our earthly all. Our only source of innocent recreation in this heathen land. He was our earthly all. But God saw it was necessary to remind us of our error. He was our earthly all. God saw it was necessary to remind us of our error. Strip us of our only little all. What's she going to do? Walk away. Curse God. Just trying to find the light in it. Oh, here's her prayer. May it not be in vain that he has done it. May it bear its intended purpose. Because this is not, God's not outside of this. It's not like my, God, my child is taken and God's outside of it. There's an intended purpose. There's light in the darkness. The God of light who loves us and rules the universe has done this. So may it not be in vain. May we so improve it. And what she means is, I think, 
grow into the purpose that God has for her and him in this. May we so improve it that he will stay his hand and say, it is enough. I've never lost a child. So don't take it from me. Take it from her. There's also less relational stuff, right? There's societal instability. And right now it's election season. And I was just sitting with a guy yesterday and I was like, what do you foresee happening you know, with the election and all this? And we're just talking about like, you know, imagining the worst, right? Like societal fallout, economic collapse, the church becoming the enemy of the state. Like, look, I'm not the biggest like fan of like America. You know, you've, you've been around long enough, you know that. I'm not like a patriot. I ordered some church chairs in Cedar Rapids recently. Uh, someone bought us some church chairs, and I was on, you know, making calls and trying to figure out what to buy, and I was on the phone with this lady, and, uh, you know, because there's different companies out there. I said, why should I buy your chairs? And she says, well, they're made in America. I said, well, I wasn't, so <laughs> that, work doesn't, that argument doesn't work with me. Here's my point. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a, there's plenty of problems with the history of the U.S., but I do see how God has granted a, a, a favor toward the church and a general peace compared historically, which is why people come here, which is why we came here, right? That's shaking loose. God may reverse course, he may not. But right now it appears that there's an increasing secularization in the West in the connection, the favor of those in power on the church is shaking loose. And Christians are scared. How will we live? What will we do? What will we do? How will we preach? Will I still have a job? Maybe not here. But there's a destabilization. There's an increased polarization in the world, in the West, maybe the whole world. The Marxists are coming. That makes me mad. I just want you to know. Like, I, I read, I hear, I see the influence of this way radical left stuff, and I'm like, and then I connect it to historical movements, and I am concerned, and I get scared. Then, I read about people like Adoniram Judson, and I say, God, I want to thrive in that context. I want a church that thrives in that context. Like, is the only way we're going to thrive is that the church is already Christian or the world is already Christian? Is that our only hope? Like, Jesus was born into a non-Christian world. Enemies. And then he went and he loved them. And he thrived. Adoniram Judson took his wife and went to a non-Christian world. Let me share a little bit of what happened to him. So they're living there for a while, doing their thing, unbothered. But what happened was the British led an attack on Rangoon. It's a city in Burma. A British fleet arrived in Rangoon and bombarded the harbor. And all Westerners were immediately viewed as spies. Right? So there he is. He's a Westerner. Him and his wife, white guys, white guy and lady in Asia. The British are attacking, so he, he falls under suspicion. So Adoniram was dragged from his home and put in prison. That's bad enough, right? Like, literally think about that. In prison for, he ends up spending over a year there. 
Not only that, he was tortured. His feet were tied up, and at night, a long horizontal bamboo pole was lowered and passed between the fettered legs and hoisted up until only the shoulder and heads of the prisoners rested on the ground. So he's hung upside down, just with his head and shoulders touching the ground. That's how you sleep for over a year. And almost a year later, they were suddenly moved to a more distant village prison, gaunt with hollow eyes, dressed in rags, crippled from the torture. Their third child, this is his first wife, and their third child, Maria, had been born by now. So this is after God took their little all. Now Maria's born. She had been born by now, and Anne, the wife, was almost as sick and thin as Adoniram. But she still pursued him with her baby to take care of him because the prison doesn't feed you. So your wife comes, brings you food. She would take care of him as she could. Her milk dried up. The jailer had mercy on them and actually let Judson get out of the prison at night so she, Anne, would stay in the prison as, as security. He would let Judson out and he would take the baby throughout the city looking for someone to nurse the baby. This is why you got to read about guys like this. Because it lifts your eyes off of like our petty little hopes. Even for our kids, like what are, what kind of life do you want for your kids? Would you wish Adoniram Judson's life on your kids? At the end of his life, he died on a boat, was just dropped in the ocean and forgotten. He wasn't forgotten. I'll probably be forgotten. What do we dream of? Like, I just want to not be bothered and allowed to go to church. Take his baby in each evening into the village and beg for women to nurse his baby. On November 4th, 1825, Judson was suddenly released. The government needed him as a translator in negotiations with Britain. The long ordeal was over. Seventeen months in prison and on the brink of death. With his wife sacrificing herself and her baby to care for him as she could, Anne's health was broken. Eleven months later, she died. Six months later, the daughter died. Listen to the words of Adoniram. Because... What will strengthen you to endure? Again, he labored for 38 years, and it wasn't until really the end and post his death that there was a revival. That now you can go to Burma and retrace the two million believers, at least in just this Baptist organization, back to the work of Adoniram Judson. 38 years of death and seeming fruitlessness and lack of response. What would strengthen you during that? If I have a couple bad months of ministry here and I'm like, oh, I don't, maybe, I, maybe I should do something else. I don't really, because I don't, I don't have any other skills. So. But you know, you start to wonder, and, and it's like, man, 38 years. God is patient. What would strengthen you? How would you hang in during all that? Here's what he said. If I had not felt certain That is strength in the inner man. Certainty. That's what we need. 
if I had not felt certain, not just known or read, but God did something there that in his inner being he felt certain. Of what? That every additional trial, there's the darkness, death and sickness, every additional, there was a sequence of trials. There's the darkness. It's dark. There it is. It's sad. If I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, there's the light. If I ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. That's a person of invincible joy. Certain in the inner being that all the darkness, right, so that's what, that's what I need to believe when I'm seeing all the chaos, and that's what you need to believe when you see it, and all the, I haven't even touched on the different degrees of trials that we could encounter. We need strength in the inner being to believe that when the darkness comes, it's ordered by infinite love. There's an infinite love and mercy. Move beyond surviving to thriving. So, we kind of talked about the text in reverse order. The call to sing, the power of God and light is revelation. So we're called to sing, to respond. A couple words on that. Why do we sing? Well, it is a, a response. We respond to the work of God, but it's also war. We've talked about that here before. It's also a way to fight for joy, right? Like when I come here in the morning and I'm sitting there going through the worship set, like I'm fighting to believe, and then all of a sudden a phrase will come in, like, to all the ransom church of God be saved to sin no more. And God gives me a thirst and a hunger, and a, I want that for you and for me, like to be relieved. I want my kids to be ransomed from that. I won't want them just caught up in their, I love you guys. I love you. But you and I need saved to sin no more to walk in the fullness of God. And so I'm entering these song times waging war. And I invite you into that. I don't remember who it was. One of the, the quote I read this week said this. Just as singing is a natural effect of joy in the heart, so if you have joy in the heart, singing comes out, so it is a natural power of rendering the heart joyful. Right? So it's just what I'm saying. Singing comes out of joy, but it also it's a way to create joy. There's nothing that so clears away for your prayers, nothing that so disperses dullness of heart, nothing that so purifies the soul from poor and little passions, Nothing that so opens heaven or carries your heart so near it as these songs of praise. They create a sense and delight in God. They awaken holy desires. They teach you how to ask. As they prevail with God to give, they kindle a holy flame. They turn your heart into an altar your prayers into incense and carry them as a sweet-smelling savor 
to the throne of grace. So do you feel dull? Sing. Sing for joy. So let's do that together. Let me invite the response team up. And we will spend some time worshiping, fighting. I already talked about singing. Fighting for that joy. And if God has revealed that, you know, his goodness and power to you, then sing from joy, right? Let's savor this time. If you have a word that you believe God is revealing for the body today, God speaks to us. Sometimes it's something just for us. Sometimes it's for a friend. Sometimes it's for the body. If you believe that, that he's saying something that is an encouragement for life and joy to the church, I would ask that you submit that to Daniel and uh, he'll prayerfully determine whether or not that's for today. Then we're going to take communion. So hopefully on the way in, you received uh, a communion cup. If you didn't, they're available right outside the doorways here. You feel free to grab one. And right, this is a time to remember. Now look, what do we remember? The cross, the place where the darkness was turned into light. It's the darkest place, the brightest light. There it is. So we come and remember that and then ask God to give us that power throughout the week. Jesus, knowing he was facing death, gave to the disciples this tradition, this um, communion, as a way to remember because he knows they're going to drift. And then he'd be called back to the essence, which is... God's goodness for us in his son. So Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body, this represents my body, and I gave it for you. So do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is what we come and remember. So on your own or with a friend or family member or as a family, when you are ready, pray, give thanks, eat, and remember. God, thank you for this time and the church, wow. And the opportunity to be reminded of truth. So come and give strength in the inner man, God, because we lack it. Release your spirit on the church. Amen.